0: Uh, Good morning to all of you, and uh, I'm really looking forward to starting this uh, new series at the beginning of a a new year uh, with you. If you're a guest with us, I want to point out something you probably saw, but that there's a colored insert in your service folder, and uh, this would be a good time to take that out and... um, either follow along, grab a pen, fill in the blanks as we go through them, uh, a way to to keep you engaged uh, or at least help with that a little bit. Um, As you uh, watch that video uh, having to do with technology, uh, I have to confess to you that uh, I have, like maybe some of you, a love-hate relationship with computers. Uh, So on the one hand, you know, I can't imagine my life without computers, you know, just thinking about work for a moment. Uh, My dad was a pastor, and 35 years ago, um, they, you know, printed bulletins and so forth with something called a mimeograph, which printed in, like, blue ink, and, you know, after the service, you felt dizzy because of how much it smelled, the ink that was on the page, and it just didn't look good, blurry, you know, the clip art was bad. Um, things have changed a lot. Computers are good. They can help. Uh, at the same time, the part I don't like about computers, and, and there's, a, there's probably more than one, but one of them is I don't like it when they don't work, and you're counting on it, and then it doesn't work, and it, maybe it gets a virus, or, or how about when it just pauses up? And you see that circle, or it used to be the hourglass, but the circle that just keeps spinning and spinning, and there's, you pound on the keyboard and nothing happens. And I don't know what you do when that happens. It's probably the thing that I do. The go-to, especially for someone who's non-techie, is to press that button on the top. It looks kind of like that button, and you restart, right? And for me, probably eight times out of ten, it fixes the problem, usually. And I was thinking... Wouldn't it be cool to have a reset button for your life? (laughs) A restart button. Now, after I made this, I'm like, that kind of looks like the ready button from the Staples commercial or the easy button. The easy button from the Staples commercial, but this is the power button. Wouldn't it be nice to have one of these for your life, right? And you might be thinking of instances um, in more on a lighthearted way. I, I thought of a time when I was in high school, and in the mid-90s, one of the popular haircuts for guys, at least young, you know, high school guys, was called the bowl cut. And the reason why it was called the bowl cut was because um, it, it looked like you had a bowl on your head, and basically what, what of hair. And what would happen is, you know, it, kind of think about a bowl on your head and then the barber would cut like where the hair would come out below the bowl. Um, And so I had this crazy idea when I was together with some friends and an overnight thing um, that one of my buddies could give me a bowl cut. And uh, so he did, except he didn't just cut below the imaginary bowl line. He actually used an electric shaver and cut it to my scalp basically. And so let me tell you, when I looked in the mirror I wish I would have had one of these. And when I got home, uh, my mom, who cares about what her son looks like, actually started crying a little bit. And she wanted one of these more than what I wanted, I think. And as I share that story, I mean, hair, you maybe have had a bad hair thing, but it's not a big deal. Hair grows back. But there are other things of a little more significance that maybe you would like to reset. Um, Maybe it's some words that you said to someone and they came off the wrong way or a joke that just was easily taken in the wrong way. And if you could just take those words back, you would gladly reset. Um, Maybe it's a career choice. And now that you're quite a ways along the line in your career, um, it, it's really hard to start over, but if you could just press reset and go back to like freshman year of college and pick a different major, like you would do it. Um, maybe it's relationships. Uh, you know, working through relational challenges is hard as the years go on if things are not addressed, and and, and there's a lot of baggage to work through. But if you could, just think, if you could just get rid of the baggage and start fresh and new, maybe it's in a relationship you'd like to do that. Or maybe it's just an entire season of life. You just, to like, to reset, to restart, to start over. Now, as you know, there may be an easy button at Staples, but there is no reset button to life where you can just eliminate the past. But. You can reset. In fact, you can't undo yesterday, but you can make changes today and reset today so that tomorrow is different. And and that's really the idea, one of the ideas behind this series is, is that we have a new year. Let's reset. We can't change the past, but we can reset today so that tomorrow is different because God's given us today. God's given us this moment and and this time. And the idea behind this series is, um, the the goal of this series that you'll see on the screen, it's our first fill-in, to be better equipped to live, not to my glory, but to live to God's glory. And um, so you know what we're going to talk about? Actually, we're going to talk about health for four weeks but it's not quite what you think. Um, when you think, or when you hear me say health, you think about exercise and, and eating right and, and maybe diet or running or whatever. And actually, that's going to be part of it. It's going to be a week. Uh, not that we give you a diet plan or something, but that we're going to talk about what God's view of physical health is. But that's not the entire thing. You see, um, in the Bible... When God talks about health, it's very clear that you could be physically in shape, but be unhealthy. Your your body could be healthy, but you are not. And in fact, it it talks about uh, essentially four legs to the health stool, so to speak. Um, What are those legs? Uh, Oh, back up. They come from this passage— they come from this passage, that, that some words that Jesus spoke. When he talked about how to love God, he, he said it, there's four different ways to love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And those are the four legs to the stool, the four areas of health that we should be concerned about, four areas that make up a healthy person. All right, so what are they? With all your heart. Being healthy emotionally. With all your soul. Being healthy spiritually in your relationship with God. With all your mind, your mental health, and with all your strength, uh, the physical component of health. Now, why, why is this important? Here's the thing. I think sometimes Christians think or at least fall into the trap that their life on earth is kind of like waiting in line at Disney World. You're just kind of waiting until God gives you heaven someday when you get to the good stuff. But if you view your life right now that way, you're not viewing it the way God views it. God cares what you do with your life. God righteously gets frustrated when people waste their life or um, waste their time, waste their life on things that don't really matter. And so in order to use our life to God's glory, we need to be healthy. And that's why this series is important. Now, I'm going to acknowledge something (laughs) that is just true. It's it's hard to make changes to yourself, isn't it? It's easy to cut your hair, but it's hard to make real change. One of the reasons why that is, is that wherever you go, there you are. Like, if I could just get away from myself, then I could really make some changes. But wherever I go, there are my inadequacies, there are my temptations, there are my um, insufficiencies. If I could just get away from myself, then I could change, but wherever I go, there I am. And so sometimes when it comes to change, it feels like uh, we've been spinning our wheels for for quite a while. Um, In fact, If you don't believe me about how hard it is to make a change, uh, use New Year's resolution statistics as an example. Some of you maybe have uh, made some, or maybe you don't call it a resolution, but you call it something else. Um, Anyone want to guess what percentage of New Year's resolutions stick? Wow, very good. Eight percent, so very, very close. About eight percent, about eight percent of New Year's resolutions actually stick. 25% of resolutions get broken by the end of the first week. First week, seven days. 40% by the end of the first month. You know that it's hard to make substantial change in your life or any of those four areas, right? And again, sometimes we get frustrated because, you know, we've kind of had the same New Year's resolution for like two decades. And nothing's happened with it. And in fact, sometimes we get a little cynical, skeptical. Like, can there really be change? Can things really change? And if you've ever felt that way, if you've ever thought that, um, this message is basically meant to pick away at that a little bit. To pick at that skepticism and to encourage you as over the next four weeks, we look at those four legs to the stool encourage you that change is possible, and and here's how, okay? So in order to do that, we're going to look into, peek into the life of a man in the Old Testament um, named David. Most of you have heard of David. He was a king. In fact, he was, uh, by all accounts, the most powerful king of Israel. He lived about a 1,000 years before Jesus, about a 1,000 B.C., and uh, David was a guy who... You would think, you know, had no real problems because he was king, but he spent about 15 years of his life wanting a change, but it not happening. And he could relate to the spinning of the wheels feeling that you might have felt. How so? Well, um, let me explain. So when David was about 15 years old, um, a, a man of God, a prophet named Samuel, came to his dad's house And said, David, God has said that you're going to be the next king of Israel. And he anointed David, the next king of Israel. And and so he called David in from uh, tending sheep, anointed him. You're going to be the next king of Israel. Guess what happened next? Nothing. Nothing happened. In fact, David just went back out to tend sheep for like at least two years and this thing that he more than likely wanted to be king had to wait, and I'm sure there were days he felt like he was spinning his wheels a little bit. What am I doing here? I'm watching sheep. I've got bigger things that I God has in store for me. Well, at about 17, we read about how his dad uh, sent David to go and deliver food to his brothers who were in battle against the Philistines. This was a a nation that um, was an enemy of Israel. And so David now is both shepherd boy and pizza delivery boy. You know, he's moving up in the world, right, a little bit. No, he's still spinning his wheels. He goes out and he he delivers this food to his brothers, and uh, obviously very much because of God's hand in it. It ended up that on that day that he delivered the food that David ended up... um, Defeating the Philistines' most accomplished soldier, an uh, almost 10 foot tall giant named Goliath, with a stone and a sling. And after that happened, the Bible tells us that they threw a parade for David and they started singing songs with his name in it about how many people he's, he's defeated and so forth. And, and And you'd think that this is the perfect time for David to have get out of that situation that he had been in, to stop spinning his wheels, and now he would be king. But if you thought that, you'd be wrong. (laughs) Because in fact, things got worse for David. At that point, the current king knew who David was, heard about the anointing of David as the next king, and for the next probably seven years or so, almost ten, David was just essentially on the run from Saul, looking you know, over his shoulder because David was, uh, trying, was, Saul was trying to kill David. And there were times during this season of his life where it seemed like nothing was changing and everything was the same. There was times that David trusted and followed God very closely, and there were other times where David strayed. And... There was this one time where David, kind of being fed up with everything and having Saul wanting to kill him, decided to, in his frustration, unplug from God and God's plan. And so he did something that God did not tell him to do, did not want him to do, and he went and he fled to the city of Gath. Now, you know all about Gath, right? I mean, I don't need to tell you anything about Gath. You, you, okay, right. No, you know nothing about Gath. So Gath is a principal city in um, the country of Philistia. Philistia is where, who do you think is from? The Philistines. The Philistines was that group of people we talked about earlier that were enemies of Israel. And Gath, the city in Philistia, was the hometown of this almost 10-foot giant named Goliath, whom David had killed. Now, (laughs) I do not know why David wanted to go to Gath and how that would be any better. I suppose we just make dumb decisions when we unplug from God, okay, which David was doing. But he flees to the hometown of Goliath. (laughs) Crazy. So, Clearly in that day, not everyone would have known what David looked like. Um, but you got to believe there were people in Gath that were there that day when the shepherd boy killed Goliath. And sure enough, he got to Gath, and everyone, at least a few people recognized him. And they brought him in to the leader of Gath named Achish, okay? And now David's like, uh-oh. <laughs> this was dumb. Yes, it was dumb, David. Unplugging from God, going to Gath, both dumb. What am I going to do? I don't know if you've ever heard this verse or account before, but listen to what David does. Um, 1 Samuel 21, verse 13. So David, now in the presence of, of Achish, with his very life at stake, um, says he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Now, can you imagine? Um, I was going to uh, sort of uh, demonstrate what this looked like for you, and then I, I saw John was here, so maybe you would do a better job than me, John. No? Okay, no. <laughs> um, I don't even know how to demonstrate this, but think about the craziest Person that you can think of, and then amp it up a little bit. And here you have this anointed one of God acting that way, kind of scratching on the door like a crazy person and letting spit come out of his mouth so it's running down his beard. Okay? Here's your next fill in. It's a pretty obvious truth at this point. <laughs> Unplugging from God is never a good option. You unplug from God, you're going to end up with saliva on your face. Scratching at walls and doors. Or something worse. Unplugging from God is never a good option. What happened? Um, Next. Next verse. Akish said to his servants, uh, and if if you don't think the Bible has humor in it, you haven't read enough. I, I think this is humorous. He goes, look at this man. He's insane. Why'd you bring him to me? And then, the humorous part. Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Essentially, he could just like, I live with a bunch of crazies already. You're bringing me some more crazy people to live with me, madmen. What are you doing? Must this man come into my house? Um, rhetorical question meaning, get him away, get him out of here. I don't want this guy here. He's scratching at walls and he's got spit on his face. Well, at this point, David is fleeing from Achish, and he's also fleeing from Saul, and he ends up in a cave, the Bible tells us. You know how you just sometimes have to hit bottom? The cave was David's bottom, at least at this season of his life. And while he was in that cave, he started plugging back into God. And he began to realize how much he needed God. And it's kind of cool because his words are recorded for us by David himself in Psalm 142. Uh, These are uh, David's words from the cave. I think he had wiped the spit off by now. Um, I cry aloud aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaints before him. Before him, I'm telling my trouble. Um, have you ever cried to God in your mind or your heart? And no one really knows. You could be in a room of people, but in your heart and in your mind, you're, you're kind of crying out for help, for mercy, for change. Here's another question. Has it ever happened that the pain of whatever it is is so great that the pain in your heart came out of your mouth, that the the cry of your heart came out of your mouth, and that you audibly cried or shouted or screamed, so to speak? That doesn't usually happen with other people around But I'm guessing it's happened to most of you. Where something was so difficult that you just needed to let it out and you cried to the Lord. To be at a point like that, you know how difficult the situation is if you're at that point. And that's where David was. The cry of his heart was coming audibly from his mouth. Verse 3, When my spirit grows faint within me, he's starting to make a turn. It's it's you, Lord, who know my way. In, In the path where I walk, men have hidden a snare for me. Look to my right and see, there's no one of this earth that's concerned for me. I have no refuge here. No one cares truly for my life. So I cry to you, Lord, and I say that you are my refuge. You're my safe place. You are my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, Lord, for I'm in desperate need. Um, You rescue me from those who pursue me, for they're too strong for me. Change things. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. And David verbalizes a truth that we all need to recognize and understand, and maybe you've already come to it in your life, in times of difficulty and feelings of spinning your wheels in trying to have things change in your life, that the only way that change can happen is with God. That he's the catalyst to every good change, to every godly change. To any change that we would really want, to the best change, he's got to be a catalyst and it's got to be his strength. Um, let me explain it this way. Um, most of the time when people, many times when people try to change things, they, they uh, turn to being motivated. And, and there's nothing wrong with motivation, but imagine you're at Caribou or um, Starbucks, and uh, you're working on your laptop, and as often happens, uh, you, know, you get that little symbol at the bottom right-hand corner that says, you know, 10% of your battery is left, and you're trying to work, you know, even faster to get things done, and, and your battery and your laptop dies, okay? So what would you do to get that situation to change? Does, uh, does motivation work? You know, motivate your laptop, like, uh, come on, laptop, you can do it, you can power up, come on, and just say the right words, or maybe you tell the laptop how special it is, you know, like of all the laptops that I could have chosen, I chose you. You were on sale, but, you know, I still, I would have picked you anyway. Or, you know, whatever, whatever motivating song the laptop likes. Or, you know, at this point, you're like thinking, Ben, you're insane. Is there saliva on your beard? You know, type of thing. Um, here's my point. Is, motivation isn't going to help your laptop ultimately. At all. You know what's going to help? Plugging it into a power source. Plug it in. And then it will work, and then it can turn on. It can be reset, it can be restarted. You see, David came to realize that, that things weren't going to go the way that ultimately would be good for him unless he stayed plugged into the Lord. His power, His strength. You know, um, how are we going to change? We're skeptical. There's not been any change in my life for a while. Things aren't going to change. Well, it's not by putting on your headphones and playing Eye of the Tiger. It's not finding the right motivational speaker, although there's nothing wrong with motivational speakers. It's not finding the right self-help book, although there's nothing wrong with self-help books. It's trading our next fill-in your strength for his strength. It's ultimately stopping to rely on what I can do, but instead doing what I can do and trusting God to do what only he can do. It's staying plugged in in all areas of my life, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, the greatest power source that there is. Our God is a God who likes change. Y- you saw it happen this morning. I mean, we didn't see it happen, but we know it did with the baptism. You see, uh, at one time we all uh, were spinning our wheels on a path that would have led us to hell, our sin. The Bible says we're, we're slaves to sin. We, we can't get out of that path on our own. It, we're like little kids, little boys that like to play in the dirt, you know, and just keep playing in the dirt, and dirt gets in your hair and in your pants and in your ear, but we like dirt, right? But we, dirt's not good for you, but you, little boys play in the dirt. And Jesus came, and through his death and resurrection, he wiped us clean of the dirt, he even got it out of your ear. He wiped us clean of our sin. He forgave us. And not only that, He changed you. Now, I know that you still struggle with sin, and I know that there are still parts of of all of our lives that we know are not God-pleasing in one way or another, but He's given you a new life that has new strength and a new ability to make changes where before God, before we were plugged into Him, there was no hope for change. We're different. We've been changed. And so our next fill-in, change, like a, a total makeover, is at the center of our salvation. You have a God who loves change, and he sends his son Jesus to change your future, to change your present, to change you. And as we close, here's the thing you got to understand that the same God who made this most amazing change of changing your eternal destination and who you are at your core, that same God has the power to change you in other ways as well. Now, a couple things. One, the change that happened when we became a Christian was instantaneous and happened overnight. In a moment. The changes that come with sanctified living or living for the Lord, they rarely, if ever, happen overnight. It's like uh, two steps forward, three steps back, four steps forward, one step back. And it's a process. Um, I often lament how I need to be more patient with, um, you know, at home with the kids especially. And if there have been many days where I woke up that day and wanted to be more patient, and then something happened and, you know, patience went out the window. But if I were to look over the last five years, this is not to my glory, it's all to God's glory, I can tell that I am more patient. It didn't happen overnight overnight. It didn't happen in an instant, and I had, you know, three steps back at times. But with God's help and God's strength, that's not me. That's the Lord working in me. It's happened. All praise to God. Change is possible in whatever area of your life. Here's the other thing. The change you're looking for may not be the change God wants to give you. That's hard. But God knows what you need the most. In fact, sometimes he might allow you to spin your wheels just like David because you need to get some saliva on your face first to recognize how much you need God and he's trying to do something in a certain area of your life. But here's our last fill-in. In In this series, we're going to reset by plugging in to Jesus. In each of these areas, Um, this is not a uh, self-help series. It's not. Each week, we're going to talk about how Jesus helps us, how Jesus is the power source we need to be healthy as a person, to make changes, to reset. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you that you have made a huge change in all of our lives Uh, by faith. Lord, if there are people, someone here this morning who isn't, uh, doesn't quite call themselves a Christian yet, I pray that you continue to work on their heart and uh, to bring them to faith, uh, realize that same um, change that Christians understand. And Lord, uh, as we then look for other uh, changes in our lives, help us to trust you, to know what's best, and to plug into you as our true source of power. We pray all this in Jesus' name and also pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, it will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory